Hello, my lovelies. You are now listening to The Vow, Voice of Women. The intention of this podcast is to empower women through sharing of real life stories. We have a fab lineup of inspiring, kick-ass, real, dedicated women. We're going to get down and dirty. What has made these women successful? What makes them tick? How do they handle conflict? And what might they eat in a day? So here we go. Catherine, welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for being here. Now, Catherine is a lawyer. She's got the LLP designation behind her, and she is the founder of Confluence Law. And I have a lot of questions, so we're just going to dive into this. Now, Catherine is a mother, a wife, a leader in our community. We're going to talk about leadership today and what that means to Catherine. Uh, She is the founder of Confluence Law. So let's jump right in. Uh, What does confluence mean? Mm, Confluence. Yes. Well, as you probably know, with the work that you do, branding is such an interesting process. So when a a couple of years when I decided to sort of formalize and commit to my to my business in a bigger way, um, we were looking at naming and I came across the word confluence, which actually you'll notice once you sort of see it once you see it all over in our city because Calgary is actually at the confluence of the Bow and the Elbow Rivers. And so oh. there's a confluence, I think, Avenue in the East Village. There's other yes, businesses that's right. yep, that are named confluence. But for me, it was, um, you know, it was metaphorical to sort of what I was trying to create for myself and my, my clients. It was the confluence of um, ideas, of people, of work and life, of, um you know, client and lawyer working together on a problem versus a more sort of hierarchical or um, directional way of practicing law. So it just, you know, it was a really um, sort of beautiful word and it represented a lot of what I wanted to to do uh, with my practice. Yeah. So it, and it sounded neat. Like it sounded sort of, you know, soft and comforting. Mm -hmm. It does. So for people. I feel comforting Mm -hmm. saying it, comforted saying it. So Catherine, share with us how you got into law. And I mean, you know, I, I, my perception is, I mean, I, I watched Law and Order as a child and I, I actually wanted to be a lawyer and I was taking the steps in university to be a lawyer. And, um, you know, 30 years ago, we didn't have as many women in the law profession. And now today it seems like, and I don't know the numbers, but it seems like we have a lot of women in varying types of law. And, and the women that I know in law are really leading the industry. I think they're, um, they're kind of disrupting it a bit. And so mm. share with us how you got into law and where you are today. Mm. Well, yeah, that's a that's a long and convoluted story. I, I did not always want to be a lawyer, so quite quite different, I think, maybe than than a lot of people. I started in engineering. Uh, well, finished an engineering degree, but um, engineering for me was actually always a struggle. Uh, high school was was easy. Uh, you know, I was sort of able to manage everything and with without working too hard. And then I got into engineering and got uh, kicked on my butt, to say the least. Uh, it was such a hard program. Um, 
not many women in engineering, although at Queen's at the time, which is where I did engineering, we were about at 25%, which I actually just read in my alumni newsletter. They're at 23% now. So really? that's really interesting. That's interesting. It's engineering, well, it stayed, I think, um, static. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, uh, maybe other schools have increased their enrollment, but at Queen's, um, it was already at about 25% mm-hmm. in the mid-90s when I was there. So I, you know, I, I'm someone that uh, at the beginning of my life definitely, you know, stuck, stuck to a path. So I wasn't, uh, even though I, I did not, I realized early on that engineering was not a fit for me. I stuck it out and finished my degree. Uh, but towards the end, I was really looking for something else to do. Uh, and I had been do, I'd done some international development work in my undergrad. And so I went into law for very altruistic reasons. It was, uh, I wanted to sort of save the world, (laughs) you know, which I think a lot of lawyers actually do go into law school for that reason as as well. So that was sort of what had, um, uh, you prompted the decision to go to law school. I still wasn't sure at that point I wanted to be a lawyer or I really even knew what that looked like or what the options were. Um, but law school was a much better fit. Like I actually loved um, legal reasoning and the subject matter was really interesting. Uh, and, you know, coming out, again, I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do with it, but, but I loved law school. And then, uh, you know, through my career, it was sort of a series of, you know, trying to stay on this path and then, um, and then actually failing. <laughs> Okay. Uh, not not failing per se, but failing to find a fit. Let's say, like it was uh, for me. Um, I I had a different way of sort of thinking. I think to those around me, or different priorities, perhaps. Um, but you know, when you're in law school, you're sort of you can easily get onto a treadmill of this is the next thing and this is the next version of success. And so for a long time, I sort of struggled with being in uh, a practice that didn't resonate. Um, yeah, so I guess, you know, that's sort of translating into why I started my own practice. And it was really a, a um, Phoenix rising from the ashes story. And again, of sort of uh, failing to fit in a variety of traditional legal environments. So I started at a very big firm and uh, one of the big three here in Calgary. And while I loved the people and I loved the work, I really couldn't see myself staying long-term there. So the definition of success at a traditional law firm is partnership. That's, that's the end of the road. And when I looked at partnership, I just, again, I just sort of couldn't see myself in that big office in the corner, um, working the kind of hours that you need to work to succeed in that, in that place. Um, so then I tried a smaller law firm, um, and with small law firms, kind of like small business, it really is, uh, the personalities, you know, are very important and and integral. And, uh, it's also, um, you know, when you're an employee of a smaller business, it's, it's the vision of the, of the owners of, of those partners. And, uh, I, I realized through working with them that, um, no one around me believed in me the way I believed in me. Uh, and maybe you mm-hmm. have experienced that as well. Uh, I read that somewhere on a you know, top 10 
tips for women in leadership. And, and that was a huge one that resonated. You know, no one is going to believe in you like you believe in yourself. It's very true. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, uh, so at that point, uh, at the small firm, I just wasn't, you know, I wasn't getting traction. I wasn't sort of feeling like there was an opportunity there. Um, and I was also having my babies at the same time, um, you know, going through mat leaves, which were hugely disruptive to my practice. Um, so after I'd had my second child, I thought I would try in-house. Uh, so I, I thought that, you know, the stability of those hours would be a better fit for me and my family. Um, so I came back early from my mat leave around when my youngest was six months and I tried in-house life. Um, uh, but again, uh, you know, that wasn't ultimately a great fit. So I got to the end of that and it was actually, I got exited from the organization. I was going through sort of a, a per, I went through a series of personal crises as well. I hit absolutely rock bottom, uh, from maybe it's not rock bottom. It, hopefully it was rock bottom. We'll see. But, um, my mental health was terrible. My physical health wasn't great. Um, my work environment was tough because I wasn't in alignment with my values. And I also, I think, was just so burnt out that, you know, when you're burnt out at work, you don't pull punches, you don't play the game, you don't, you you're know. Blah. Yeah. Yes. You're not bringing your best self. Yeah. Uh, so I came out of that just feeling like actually law was not for me. I said, oh, you know, wow. I've tried law, practicing law in all these different places, and like I must just not be a fit for the profession. Um, but I wasn't quite ready to give up work entirely. And so I started just doing a little bit of practice on my own. So I, you know, people have all these great origin stories for their business. I do not. I, it was literally the only thing I could think of doing <laughs> at that moment in my so, life. So you hit rock bottom, you leave in-house, you're, you're having and raising your babies. Mm -hmm. And then it sounds like a very organic evolution. You're just taking some side jobs. Um, you know you don't want to work for somebody else because you're your own biggest fan. And were you healing yourself during this time then? Were you, did you get help? Mm -hmm. Did you, like, what were you doing then? Because I think that this whole concept of self-care, especially right now, is very important. So I think, you know, if you're able to share, like, what did you do for yourself to get back kind of back to Catherine. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, it goes beyond self-care, right? It's, it's when you're kind of at the, when you're, when you're at the bottom from a mental health perspective, you're just getting through each day. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I mean, I got help. I had done, I, I've done, I'm a big fan of counseling. So I'd had a Good. lot of counseling in my days. Yes. So I went back to that, you know, I had to, um, take some medication for a while yeah. because when your kids are little and you're trying to work and you've had a, had stressful life experiences, those stresses don't go away immediately. Mm -hmm. So that was very helpful for a time. And then, yeah, I had to get my, my strength back mm -hmm. and my energy back. And so it was more that I couldn't imagine um, starting a new job with expectations and other people's expectations for me at that time. So you're absolutely right. It was, it was organic. It was when you go to LinkedIn and you finish a job and you've been in business for yourself for a long time, but when you finish a job, the worst thing I think is going to LinkedIn and needing to change. And it asks you, okay, well, what are you doing now? 
And when you don't have a good answer for that, and you're a professional who's always worked, I've never not worked from the age of 15. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I just, I literally put legal consultant. <laughs> so it was a change on LinkedIn before I even had any idea about what being in business for myself was going to look like. Okay, well, fast forward, <laughs> fast forward many years, you have Confluence Law mm-hmm. and you specialize in immigration and employment law. Mm-hmm. And so there's so many faucets of law that you can get into. So I don't know if you can share with us, you know, if were you practicing that in-house or at the big law firm and then this was a natural progression or was it a totally different field than what you were practicing and how did you find? Yeah. Well, I think, again, you, um, well, I should say I, I fell into it somewhat organically as opportunities presented themselves. Um, immigration and employment are somewhat related, but not directly related. Um, I started in litigation, actually, mm, as a litigator. Really? Uh, yep, for the first eight years of my practice. Um, but I found it very stressful. Mm. I found the... Um, adversarial nature of it all day every day to to really wear me out and so quite early on in my practice um, I was looking for alternatives and immigration presented itself as something I was interested in but also a good friend of mine practiced at another firm and she said hey if you want to start doing this work I'll help you Um, and so as a second year associate in a big law firm, I actually marched into the managing partner's office and said, hey, I want to I want to start this practice at this firm. There was nobody doing it, hmm. which I actually, you know, it's quite funny if you know the inner workings of a large law firm. Usually, you know, a second year lawyer doesn't doesn't do that. And I think I didn't know enough about about it to know that that wasn't something that people do. <laughs> Well, ignorance is bliss though, right? (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. And so that's how I started doing uh, immigration. And then um, employment actually came out of, um, I sort of joke that it came out of the boom and bust cycle of Calgary um, and also my maternity leaves because um, in 2008, when I had my first uh, daughter, um, there was a downturn in 2008. Mm-hmm. You, you yeah, probably are crash. highly aware of the downturn. <laughs> in Very <Calgary>. aware. <laughs> so 2008, you know, sharp, relatively short downturn. A lot of companies pulled out of the city or decreased their business immigration needs. And I had no work. My practice was decimated when I came back from parental leave. Um, but there was employment work, lots of employment work because in a downturn, people lay off and people, yes. you know, have employment issues. So that's when I started practicing in employment. Um, then uh, similarly, 2010, 2011, I had my second child, another dip. Um, and I also was at a smaller boutique that specialized in employment and immigration. So I was able to do a little bit more um, there. And then in-house, I did do a lot of employment. Yeah. And you know what? They're just wonderful complementary practices in that they both involve people. They both um, involve problem solving um, for people. Mm-hmm. Uh, when my kids ask, well, what, what does a lawyer do? I say, well, I help people solve problems. Mm. Yeah, you do. Which I, I actually think is a beautiful um, synergy between having a law and engineering degree because as an engineer, you're always, you're solving problems. It might be more mathematical equations or, or, you know, structure or whatever it is in engineering, but 
to have two degrees, like, and I, I, I would imagine your mind works a certain way. Um, to be able to finish an engineering degree, albeit it was very difficult, you said, and then to go into a very different uh, practice of law, um, you're not only academic, but you're, you have to be an outside-of-the-box thinker. And so when you're sitting at your desk, you know, on your phone with your clients, um, what does that look like for you in a day? Like, what are you, what is your ideal client? Um, and what are some of the, the problems that you're solving? Mm. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Law is very analytical. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think people realize it is, it is fitting, um, because law is a, is a series of, um, formulas in a mm -hmm. lot of ways. When you look at cases and case law and legal principles, and then you're figuring out what are the relevant facts to fit into that legal framework mm -hmm. and then how do you, how do you communicate it in an effective way um, but in terms of my day-to-day -day, um, and my and my my ideal clients right now um, I work a lot with small to medium-sized businesses and individuals nonprofits um, some of the national sport organizations uh, so they're people that really need on the ground um, practical solution focused advice um, with the individuals, they're, the issues that I'm working with people on are usually highly emotional. Um, so I, I've tried to bring some of my parenting techniques in, you know, a lot of deep listening. You have to be a container for the emotion around the situations that clients find themselves in. Um, I think some lawyers are uncomfortable with the emotional piece of it, but I think to be effective, you have to give people the opportunity to share that piece of it so that you can get to rational decision making and moving forward um yeah and it's a variety of things i mean on the employment side it can be anything from um you know terminations uh job changes workplace harassment discrimination um, there's a lot of uh, challenges in the workplace right now around um, bullying and harassment, mm -hmm. uh, which I find fascinating. Um, I support a lot of women uh, in in transition in their career because um, you know I think that the data will show as we come out of the last five years that women in their thirties, sort of at that sort of point in their career where their career should be really taking off, uh, I think they've been disproportionately impacted by this recession. A lot of women are losing their jobs right before, during, or after parental leaves. Mm -hmm. And that's just the reality. Um, it's being framed many times as restructuring. Mm -hmm. But um, I think the reality is, is that they're more susceptible because they have had a workplace disruption. Mm -hmm. Their connections to their workplace have been disrupted. Um, and so they don't have people advocating for them in the room when these restructurings are happening. That's my sort of sense of it. And also mm -hmm. this disproportionate inadequacies in uh, payment in salary between the same positions of men and women. I've been hearing about this more, not just in the media, but with friends of mine that are dealing with it in the workplace where they have more seniority, they're in a very similar same position, but the, the man in the company is making disproportionately more than they are doing the same amount of work and maybe even the female working harder. Are you seeing that at all? Is that is that a part of your practice? 
I don't see that directly because yeah. I'm not um, I'm not in sort of involved in those types of decisions mm-hmm. okay. at companies, sort of salaries and and I know that there are companies that are taking a good hard look at mm-hmm. that. But I think in general we still have a big issue around that. I think a lot of it is implicit gender bias or maybe in the way that women um, feel less comfortable negotiating. Mm. I certainly see it on the back end of employment where I work with a lot of women on termination and they're much less comfortable negotiating a severance package than my male clients. My male clients will come in and say, yeah, I've already decided I want to negotiate this. Um, Women take a lot more encouragement to to negotiate a package. Um, For me, if you don't ask, you don't get, right. right? I'm sure, again, you Absolutely. run a business, you know, and you're, a, you're a hard negotiator. Yeah, <laughs> I know <the> that. <laughs> but a lot of women are still uncomfortable in yeah. the negotiation. They see it as conflict versus yes. conversation. Conversation yes. or an ask or yes. an, just a no. Yeah. I, I am never offended when someone says no to me. Um, I'll usually ask again. Yes. <laughs> Two yeah. no's. I say to my clients, I usually wait for the second no. <laughs> That's I'll... good advice, Catherine. <laughs> yeah. But that is so true. I, I am very good at negotiating real estate, but when it comes to some other things in my life, I have to admit I am less likely to negotiate when it comes to other things outside of real estate. In fact, I kind of push that off on my husband. I'm like, that sounds like a blue job, mm-hmm. you know, but I'm very comfortable in my own genre, you know, of, of negotiating. But I could see, you know, for a lot of women, it it is, it is placed upon them as a conflict in their minds instead of a conversation or the ask. So that leads me into my next question then, because I know you're a huge advocate of leadership. Leadership is something that you're passionate about. And so, Maybe share with us how, uh, you know, leadership with women is kind of on the forefront of your mind and, and, and it sounds like it's a kind of a newer passion of yours. Mm, yeah, I've always, um, yeah, I've been interested in, in leadership, um, the concept of leadership, how, um, and then of course how leadership shows up for women because we haven't been in leadership roles as frequently or, or for as long. Uh, and for a long time, we were expected to lead just like the men had led. But um, what I'm noticing and as I'm reading is there's um, this new sort of opportunity for leadership, new definitions. Have you read the book Wolfpack? No, I haven't. Okay. Well, it was just on a Brene Brown podcast. Okay. So there's more chatter around it. But I listened to her, her podcast with um, Abby Wambach uh, about her book uh, Wolfpack. And uh, it re- that really resonated with me, a lot of her concepts of leadership, um, because they apply to not just women, but people who have not traditionally been in leadership positions or, um, you know, around the boardroom table. Um, and so for myself, you know, now that I'm not in an organization per se, um, I, I had sort of given up on this concept of, of leadership. Well, I'm, I'll never be a leader because it's just me and my clients and what am I leading? But in Wolfpack, she says that you, as, as women, as people, you have to lead from the bench or lead essentially where you're at. Mm-hmm. So find your opportunities to lead in your community, um, with your family, with your clients, sort of show up as a leader in other aspects of your life which is what I've tried to, I've realized I've, I've done it all along, but it's given me more, um, 
it's it's formalized it, I guess, in my mind and said, yeah, I can be a leader without being in the corner office mm-hmm. or having a GC title behind my name or yes. partner yeah. behind my name. Yeah, or a big flashy law office, you know. Yeah. And, so yeah. so right now I'm I'm really focused on mentorship. And again, it was kind of an accidental thing. I got an email from the Law Society looking for mentors to do these uh, quick quick mentorships. So it's like speed dating where you just meet with six to 10 people a year for an hour's worth of mentorship. And I signed up on a whim as I do with a lot of things in my life. I was like, oh, well, I'll see, you know, maybe someone will be interested to talk to me. <laughs> and it turns out there's a lot of people interested in doing what I'm doing. So practicing mm-hmm. law on their own terms in a different way, in a way that works for their families, in a way that works for their communities. And so that's how I'm trying to show up, I suppose, in leadership right now is being that spark or encouragement for other people looking to, uh, yeah, practice law in the way they want to practice law. I love that, Catherine. Well, I think that there's probably, to your point, a huge need. You go into this mentorship not knowing if what you have people will want, and it sounds like there was a a welcoming array of people that uh, probably wanted to pick your brain and see what you know what you were doing and I commend you for that because I think it's easy to go walk throughout life and um, at your own speed doing your own thing but forgetting that everyone has a skill and everyone is good at something even if you don't look at it that way whether you are a lawyer, whether you are a janitor, whether you work at a convenience store, whether you're a doctor, you all, everyone has a skill. And so we forget that as, I think, as people. And so I'm thrilled to know that you're giving of your time back to your community that you're passionate about. Let's talk about some of your personal passions. Now, I know uh, from, from looking onto your website, I didn't even know this about you prior, uh, but you have a passion for photography and for cycling. And so how often do you get to practice these passions and what do they provide you in your life? Hmm. Yeah, so, well, as I was starting my law practice, I actually did also start a photography business. So yeah, so I was in, I just actually closed it down officially this past year. Um, It was the right time to, you know, there's a time in life for everything and it was the right sort of time to move on from that and and focus more on my family and my legal practice. But um, for photography for me uh, started as a hobby, became a business, and then gave me the opportunity to, to learn a ton of business skills. Mm. And uh, building that business actually really gave me the confidence to practice law as a business for myself as well, because I uh, figured if I can start a photography business from nothing, not even really knowing much about photography, I can certainly start a law practice you know, with 15 years of practice uh, experience in the practice of law. So, so now for me, photography has taken a little bit of a, a, a back step, but it was amazing while it, while it was there in my life. Um, cycling. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm an avid cyclist. I cycle, you know, three to five times a day. Uh, for me, it's, um, it's my social network. It's medication, uh, we were chatting before we came on air a, a little bit about ADHD and I have that. It runs strong in my family and I think I've been able to manage it in my own 
way uh, through physical activity. So it's, it's right now it's cycling, but it's been other things in my life. Um, and um, yeah, but for me, I, I tend to, to bounce around a lot. I'm a curious person, but I'm also someone that, um, that gets bored. <laughs> Okay, I see, and I wouldn't have thought that about you. Like, I I mean, I know you a little bit, not a whole lot, but I I do know you a little bit, and you always seem so calm and collected and on point. So (laughs) the fact that you shared with me that you have ADHD is like, uh, it's mind-blowing to me. You you do handle it very well. Well, it's, you know, I think that when you say that, it's it's misunderstood still very much in our society, especially in girls and women. Uh, when it shows up in girls, it's typically not hyper the hyperactive yes. sort of indicators of it, and it's a spectrum, of course, right? And uh, I'm I would say I'm high functioning, and I've ma- managed to figure out a lot of coping strategies. And because I'm in business for myself, I hide a lot of um, of, of it, right? As as we do, but I. I joke that I'm like a duck. I'm like calm on the surface and underneath my legs are, are going, going, going. And my brain is always going. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it came up late in life for me. Um, okay. And after my daughter was diagnosed and it, that's how it comes up for a lot uh, of yes, adults. I've heard that. Yeah, because it's very strongly genetically yes. linked to, to families. And so your daughter, how, what were the, some of the signs? And I, I think that this is really important for our listeners because ADHD, um, uh, you know, bipolar personality disorder, autism, like there's all these things that are coming to the forefront and we're starting to talk about the more mental illness. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know a lot about ADHD, but if, if I was to look for something, like how did you find out or what made you think your daughter might have ADHD? Hmm. Yeah, well, I've I've just heard the term uh, neurodiversity, okay. which I love that term because I don't like when ADHD and autism are always spoken about in the context of disorder, mm-hmm. or uh, because we are neurodiverse as humans, we always have been, and there are traits that show up with people with ADHD that are very positive. Like for me, it lets me, I have more energy than the average person. I have more curiosity, <laughs> I think, than the average person because I get bored easily. Uh, and I'm a, we're natural entrepreneurs, people with ADHD, because we, um, we don't fit well. And I realized when I started to see it in my daughter, and it was, you know, it was more of the traditional things like she was having a hard time, getting her things together and going into her grade room class, grade one class. She was always the last kid into her class and the last kid out of her school. And she usually forgotten half of the things she needed. Um, uh, And then especially when I started to observe my younger daughter and just how different they were in terms of what they were able to manage with with and without support. Yeah, but for I think that's you know my my daughter who has ADHD she talks about her friends. Um, well, you know we're we're all very ne- neurodiverse, so oh, wow. we're all very <laughs> accepting of each other. Oh my gosh! So I mature. I think that really, um, you know, it's important for workplaces and schools to adapt and to recognize that these kids that are on these spectrums and are not uh, you know and maybe have challenges with with 
the daily living skills that workplaces and schools put upon them, um, you know, they need, they really do need to accept and adapt and, and realize the gifts Mm -hmm. that people bring. For me, it was, it was, um, huge in my self-acceptance, uh, about why it wasn't working for me with 1800 billable hour targets in a big law firm. I was never going to be able to concentrate Mm -hmm. for, you know, eight to 10 hours a day, five days a week, um, and stay healthy. Mm So having your own practice and you have a mix of working at home and in an office, raising your kids, being a wife. And so it sounds like it's really allowed you to dial in to the other passions in your life, to really focusing on the type of law, the type of clientele and probably the amount of clientele. Because Mm -hmm. when you, and I'm making an assumption, but when you work for a big practice, they give you, these are your files. You know, this is what you're responsible for where in your own practice is that you take what you want. You know, is that is that accurate? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's the beauty of having your own business, mm-hmm. right? You know, you get to set your budgets, you get to set your income goals, you get to define success. Um, and then you, you get to measure your own performance and your business's performance against your own measures of success. Mm-hmm. It's huge. Yeah. And for me, just being able to work when and how mm-hmm. is huge. I mean, law is a client-serving business. When my clients call, I need to be responsive. But that's a gift of ADHD. I am always more interested in the newest you know, thing <laughs> yeah. that has to be done right in front yes. of me. So, um, so I'm, I'm, I have that gift of being responsive and curious about the new thing. Um, but I can also go for a walk and talk to a client as I'm mm-hmm. walking outside, or I can take a call when I'm waiting to pick up my kids from school. Mm-hmm. I can work a little bit on the weekend because I'm there from four till six with my kids every day. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, clients, they don't care when you work as no. long as your work gets done. You know, exactly. your clients don't care when, as long yeah. as you're there That's and you're right. responsive. So yeah. it's, um, for me, it's the only way to work. Yeah. It sounds like you found yeah. a real balance in your life, Catherine. So, and yeah, yeah. it's I, I'm really grateful that you've shared all of this with us because I think as women, especially, it's it's hard to find balance sometimes, and there's not a lot of balance either. When I found for myself, when I was growing my business, I mean, granted, I I didn't have a wife and two little ones at the time. I was really in growth mode, but there's a lot of mums that are, and it is really difficult to find that balance between work life, fitness mental health and I think it can be really overwhelming so it sounds like it was just a really you know even though it was bumpy along the way you've now found yourself in this really kind of balanced lifestyle Mm -hmm. I mean even even before we got on the podcast you were you know messaging your your daughter and you know so you're you're you find time and ways in your life to connect with your family with your people with your clients and um, I'm just really grateful that you've been so vulnerable in, in sharing your story what keeps you up at night Hmm. Uh, my husband's snoring. <laughs> well, actually, I should say that, but I just bought oh a. Gosh, I just uh, bought a great pair of noise uh, masking sleep buds. So for anyone, oh my gosh, that is up amazing. at night because of noise. Um, I, I imagine this is more of a metaphorical yes. question. <laughs> yes. Um. Yeah. So actually, the thing that's keeping me up at night is. Um, divisiveness. Mm. Uh, the way I think, you know, I'm, I grew up in Alberta. I was born in Winnipeg, 
grew up in Alberta, um, then spent quite a bit of time in Ontario. But when I came back, you know, I've observed that our province is um, becoming more polarized. Mm. And, uh, and that's, you know, that worries me. And especially with social media and the way we're consuming our information, we're not, um, we're not playing from this, we're not singing from the same songbook. We all have these bare, totally different uh, pools of information such that it's very difficult, I think, for us to have conversations when people are on different sides of an issue. Mm-hmm. And so that worries me. It worries me for our province and it, it worries me for our world. Um, yeah. Yeah. Other than that, I try not, I'm actually not a worrier. Oh, oh, <laughs> I, I need to take a page out of your book. You know what? It's a gift of ADHD. Oh, maybe I need to get that. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's true. I, I mean, I'm usually not thinking about one thing for long enough to really fixate on it. Yeah, oh I my have, gosh, uh, I love that. one of my daughters, you know, I've, I've disclosed has ADHD yeah. and the other one is, is, um, a worrier. She's part of the worry tribe as, wow. as our family therapist says. And, so I think you're you're either wired that way or yes. you're not. Yeah. 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 Well, I think if we're all honest, there's the um, you know the the current world is a reason to keep you up at night and everything going mm-hmm. on, um, you know, and I think that that's a very fair and honest answer. Um, I oftentimes will go to bed, you know, worried about how my children are going to get through the world, you know, with you know, debt and social media and, you know, everything that is upon us. And I oftentimes wonder, like, what did our parents stay up? You know, what kept them up at night? Was it something similar, just on a different scale? Were they worried about us maybe, you know, marrying the right man or going to university? Or I I should really ask them what what kept them up at night if they remember, because I think, you know, once you're a parent too, you're always just worried about your children's well-being. So I think, yeah. you know, oftentimes I, I think about that. But I, I like to tell myself that, right? That worry is not new or concern for our yes. kids or change. It's not. It's just, um, it's different, different worries yes. that we have to prepare our kids for. Yeah. And it, you know, that the way social media and the internet, it just makes it all bigger, magnified. bigger and more yeah. and magnified. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Catherine, what have you vowed to yourself or promised to yourself? Maybe this was years ago. Maybe this was last week. What is something that you vowed in your life to you? Mm, I love that question. Oh, I think it's important to revisit these things for sure. Um, I think that of in recent years, and certainly since I've been focused on my own path, let's say, is, is simply that, that I... I have vowed to myself to always um, make my own path instead of staying on a well-worn or traveled path. Uh, that's a concept that I just read in Wolfpack, but when I read those words, I was they resonated completely. Um, and also part of that is, has come with the process in defining my own version of success. Um, you had talked about being in a growth mindset when you started your business. I was in a growth or striving mindset in my 20s where that was all I was focused on. Mm-hmm. I think it's a really common thing in it your is. 20s and, and your 30s probably. Um, and then life sort of kicks you <laughs> in various mm-hmm. ways. Uh, and so you really do need to take a look um, and to find success. And it's not always growth and it's not always 
uh, you know, something that's out in front of you. So that's been the other thing that I've told myself is I'm not going to let anybody define what success is for my life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's a great vow. And thank you for sharing. And thank you for being so vulnerable. Um, You know, it's some people have a challenge being vulnerable and some people it's just easy. And I felt that our conversation just really flowed, Catherine. And I've I feel closer to you because I know you and I've learned so much about you and, and pieces of your life. And I just really want to thank you for your vulnerability because I think that's where what our listeners really, um, it's important that they hear that and that's how they're really going to get to know our guests. And uh, it's how we empower each other as women. So thank you for being here today. And uh, before we leave, uh, we'd like to um, spotlight a charity of choice that you have. Mm. A charity of choice so uh like many things in my life i don't pick just one thing (laughs) i think for myself and sort of my um my sort of hope for others is that you spread your money around i love the idea you know the thing that's so important with charitable giving is to give to things that resonate with you so for me um i give in a lot of different ways in smaller amounts when i feel moved to give Um, But I do have a particular passion in supporting the arts in Calgary. I spent some time on a theatre board in the city and it was very eye-opening. Arts organizations um, for many years in Calgary relied almost entirely on corporate funding and of course that corporate funding has really dried up over the last five years. Um, And so for us as individuals who value the arts, we have to literally put our money where our mouth is or else we're not going to have these amazing arts organizations that we have in our city so um uh you know the alberta theater projects is a company that i've supported over the years they do they've always done very interesting work decidedly jazz Mm, because my my daughter (laughs) my daughter dances there and again they've just been such a leader over the years in the dance community um and then I also believe in giving politically. Uh, you know, if you getting involved in politics is really important, and part of that is is donating. So that's great. Well, thank you. And those are three very different uh, charities that we've spotlighted today. I don't think anyone has before. So I really appreciate you bringing those to light. And thank you for being our guest today, Catherine. And I just uh, wish you all the best in your business in the years to come. Thank you so much. And thank you for having this uh, opportunity to collect women's stories in the city. It's awesome. Thank you for tuning into The Vow, Voice of Women. We truly hope that you've enjoyed today's speaker. We hope that they've inspired you, made you think outside the box, and given you some points that you can apply to your everyday lives. Please subscribe to our podcast, rate us. If there's any suggestions you can make or feedback, we would love to hear from you. Thanks for tuning in.